Uh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Hey, welcome back to another episode of Does It Hold Up with Adam and Emily. And today we're going to go all the way back to 1995 to discuss one of Brad Pitt's more famous movies, Seven. Also starring Morgan Freeman, who just, he can be in everything. (laughs) And also, you know, just like it's a side thought. Yeah, I mean, also the voice of God. It's fine. (laughs) Um, so let's talk about Seven. This movie, you know, if you don't follow us on TikTok, you should. It's at does underscore it underscore hold underscore up. I know, long, but come check us out on TikTok. I dropped some fun stuff on there, like box office for these movies, ratings for these movies, and an additional fun fact that you're not going to find on the podcast. So check us out. Let's talk about... The opening. So this movie has a really interesting title sequence, a great opening credits. What were your thoughts about it? It is so thematic and really kind of starts off with a bang of this is how this movie is going to go. Like the whole idea is it is showing off what we will find out to be is John Doe's uh, notebooks and his him putting those together and it really shows his mindset and where this movie is going to take us, how kind of depraved things are going to get. Right. Like it immediately establishes the visual aesthetic and atmosphere and creepiness of the forthcoming movie. Oh yeah. It sets the tone off from the get go. I mean, it's it's one of the best opening credit sequence I've ever seen. What fails after that, then, is the first scene for me. So, for those of you that don't know about the movie Seven, it follows Brad Pitt, who plays Detective Mills, and it follows Morgan Freeman, who plays Detective Somerset, as they try to catch a John Doe killer who is using the seven deadly sins to commit each one of his murders. We're going to go through each murder in this, so I kind of want to get that out of the way first. And, you know, they have their own personal lives to deal with and everything, and as they're tracking him down, he always seems to be one step ahead. Kind of your generic cop movie, yet there's, like, this added layer of depth to this film that I think sets it above a standard cop movie but not always in the best way because the first scene for me kind of falls apart. We watch Morgan Freeman enter this looks like a rundown kind of apartment to find out that two people are dead and it looks like a crime of passion. We don't see the crime scene. Mills doesn't spend a lot of time at the crime scene. He kind of goes in, looks around, goes, must be a crime of passion and dips and then he meets mills i mean he doesn't really dip they've talked in there but it's like so quick and abrupt that it doesn't really make sense after coming off that great opening this isn't a murder done by john doe this is just a murder 
I actually didn't mind the opening scene. I thought we got a lot of Somerset's character and characteristics from that scene. Why he's kind of over the whole idea of being a cop and being a detective and the big thing that really sets him apart is his kind of curiosity, his willing to ask those kind of questions like, did the kids see this? Like, I'm just, I know other people, including that uh, other officer who's like, what does it matter? But it matters to him and that kind of shows you where he's at mentally and how over he is. So I thought it gave us a lot of his character in that quick little scene. Was I, it necessary? No, we could have probably gotten that. I mean, we get that throughout the rest of the movie. I mean, yeah. that is Somerset's entire deal in this movie. Is he's just over everything and he wants out and he doesn't... I didn't need that scene to establish that yeah. because five seconds later, we get it again. Yeah, I think it was just kind of showing that off without Mills kind of being like, no, this is a guy who's been in it for a while and he's he's over it. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I get what it was going for. I think this was just Fincher going, hey, do you like the tone of this movie? Do you like how it's really dark and you're not going to be able to see anything because we never turn lights on? Yeah. Because that's what you're going to get for the next two hours. Are you ready? Enough blood in this movie. They had to add one more crime scene. Yeah, so <laughs> I could have done without it, but we got to jump into the story Really quick, uh, seven minutes into the film, they get a phone call. Somerset gets a phone call that says, hey, there's been a murder. Come check it out. Mm -hmm. And it's the first kill by John Doe. And it's gluttony. Yeah. This is my favorite. As weird as that sounds, you, you have a favorite murder. But this is my favorite murder in the movie. It what do you is, think? It is definitely unique. That was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie is how unique the the murder scenes are, the, how unique the, the, the way he kills people is. And this one really started it off with a bang and was just kind of top tier of the like, this is how I'm going to make you die via your sin. So that was... Right, well, like a lot of other movies would be like, okay, we're doing gluttony. Okay, just... Kill a fat guy, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Just stab him, Just you stab know. him a bunch, and then you killed him because he's fat. Yeah. And this one was like, no, no, no. He's fat, but we're going to take it, and gluttony is actually what killed him. Yeah. It's not anything else. It's gluttony. It is the overconsumption of a product. This one happens to be food. You know, because I'm sure you can be a glutton for a bunch of things. A glutton for punishment, a glutton for money, a glutton. You can be a glutton for other things. This one was food because that's your t traditional gluttony. And it's just, it's it's brilliant. They go into this man's house and this, this big man is sitting at the table, face down on the thing of spaghetti. They find a puke bucket under the table, which has somewhat fresher puke in it. And it's just then, how do they, where do we go from here? There's nothing really, like, there's no reason to why this has happened. They don't know it's a serial killer yet. They don't, they're just dumbfounded. They're at a loss, which for me felt really real because I'm sure there's a lot of crimes that detectives get to and they look around and they get all the clues and they, they try to figure out at least something in their head and nothing. They can't put rhyme or reason to it. Well, especially when you start off with this kind of thing because... The way it looks on the outside could just be an accidental death. This guy literally just ate himself to death. I mean, that actually does happen. 
So it, it was the finer details of finding those little things, like the puke bucket, like the fact that his hands and feet were bound. Like, those were the things that they had to look at to really be like, I don't think this is quite what it lo- appears to be on the outside. Right, there was something off about it, but they just didn't know how to move forward with it. Because they don't really think anything about it until the next murder shows up. Well, there's nothing for them to go on. There's absolutely no prints. There's no, like, motive that they know of. There's literally nothing for them to go on at this point. Okay, so it's a great first crime scene that has to do with the the killer that they're going to be tracking down the rest of this movie. And it gives us a good insight to... I think the characters as well, even more so than like you were talking about the first crime scene with the, with the lovers, because Mills comes in and they're looking at everything and he's trying to formulate it's this, it's that, this is what happened, this is how it ended, and he's putting together this whole elaborate story, and Somerset just looks at him, he's like, can you just shut up, like, just just shut it. And he actually looks and starts, you know, being a detective, trying to find things, trying to look at things, trying to, like, formulate something in his head. And it shows, like, Somerset is a thinker. Mills is an actor. He wants to act upon everything he sees. And Somerset's like, no, no, that's a bad idea. Let's sit. Let's think it through. Then we can act upon it. I mean, even little... uh... Details like the fact that uh, Somerset put on gloves to be in the scene and Mills did not. Yeah, Mills doesn't care. Which is terrible police work, by the well, way. Well, I mean, he's he says he's been a detective before. He's like, this isn't my first time. I've been a detective, blah, blah, blah. To me, he feels very much like maybe he just made detective like six months ago. Whereas Mills feels like I've been doing this for 30 years. Don't get in my way, kid. Switch. Somerset. Somerset. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Who did I say? You said Mills. Did I say Mills twice? Yes. So Mills is a rookie and Mills has worked for 30 years. It's the strangest thing. Yes. <laughs> You're right. Mills is like a rookie. Somerset's like the dude who's been doing it for 30 years. He's like, I know what I'm doing. Please shut up. Stay out of my way. And whatever. I mean, he also seems to know immediately that something is starting. Yeah. Which or I if was he confused doesn't? how he knew. Like, well, I don't know if he does. He literally says something is starting. Like he talks to the the head guy who I can't think of what his position is. Arlie would be Ernie, called. he's like the captain of yeah. the precinct. So he talks to him, he's like, I want off because this is something starting and I'm I'm done after this week. I don't know, I just thought he wanted done to be done. No, he literally he legit Well, says I don't think he meant something starting, starting as in like a big serial thing. It's just this is a new case. Whether it turns into a serial killer or turns into just a single murder, this guy ate himself to death, whatever it is, he's just done. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He's kind of like, put me on desk work, I'm, I'm over everything. So I think this scene is not only the, the most interesting murder for me, I, I love the whole aspect behind it because we find out later during the autopsy that not only did he feed him to death, but then he burst him from the inside too by hitting him. Which actually was the thing to kill him. I understand, but, you know, he fed him until he was going to burst, and then instead of waiting, he just, like, kicked him in the stomach and was like, ha ha He popped him like a balloon. Yeah. That's insane. It's just insane. But, again, going back to the characters, 
I think they did a really good job with casting as well because Brad Pitt was coming off Legend of the Falls where he's like this heartthrob, take your shirt off, oh, you're so sexy, blah, blah, blah. To go into this movie is like, he really got to amp up that like cocky, young, gritty detective, which he hadn't really done up to that point. He got to show that hard side of him. I think he does a pretty good job. He gets annoying for me a lot throughout the movie. Yeah. He yeah. calms down more towards the, like, three quarters of the way movie through the movie. He He's calm a little bit, but then the end, he just ramps it all up into annoying territory again. But it works because Morgan Freeman has the voice of God, a voice of an angel, and he just, he's so calm, and the way he speaks is so calm, and when he, when he talks, you believe what he says. And so it's a really nice balance between the two. I didn't care for how much Brad Pitt was. Like you said, he he was on the verge of just straight annoying. So I was like, I'd rather just watch this movie with Morgan Freeman's character. Like, I'm more interested in him and what he's thinking than what Mills is doing. Because most of it was figured out by Somerset. Well, that that was his whole thing, is he's the the smart one of the group. I mean, they find a note card with a quote on it and Somerset immediately knows what that quote is from. It's the way I see the movie is it's not really it doesn't really have to do with Mills at all until the end and, and we'll get there much later but it's just a chess match between John Doe and Somerset. John Doe thinks he's so clever and he's going to keep everybody guessing and keep on their toes and he's going to be one step ahead and nobody's going to be able to catch him. And Somerset's like hold my beer. (laughs) You know, he's got this. And the way he formulates, and you believe it, Morgan Freeman portrays it not in a way of like, the script said, I know this, so I know it. His character, the way he, he acts is just like, I know it because I'm a veteran. I've been around. I've lived life. I know things. Like, I've never seen Game of Thrones, but I've seen the whole like, meme thing of like, I drink and I know things. (laughs) <laughs> and Somerset's thing is like, I solve crimes, and I know things. No, he drinks too. He drinks yeah, wine. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's just, it's wonderful. So it's a great balance for me between those two. Now, I do think Somerset's a little too smart at times. Yeah, there's some times that I thought he was a little too smart. I didn't always follow their, what mm. I, I assumed were like leaps in thought. Like, I didn't always keep track of how they were thinking, why they came to conclusions. So that part kind of was off to me, but I know that's a personal thing. Like, I know we had to discuss it afterwards and be like, no, no, there's definitely reasons why they got to here. This movie does a really good (laughs) job, but some of it's subtle where it can be missed because this was your first viewing. Yes, first ever. I think if I watched it again, I would almost enjoy it more because I would see all those little bits. So this is my third viewing. I watched it in like 1998 when I was 12. I watched it again when I was in my 20s and I'm watching it again in my 30s. It's like almost every decade I (laughs) watch this movie for some reason. I'm not sure why. So... I see a lot of the little subtle things of how they get from point A to point B, and we did. We had a whole conversation about it because you brought up the point of, like, do they ever do detective work in the movie? Yeah, because for me, they just kept, like, just coming to conclusions, and I'm like, how did you get there? I didn't understand it. <laughs> like, one of the things 
with this gluttony murder is there was floor shavings in the food that he was forced to consume. So the captain brings it to Somerset and says, hey, this was in the food. You might want to take a look. Somerset looks at it. And then next thing you know, he's in the guy's apartment in, at the crime scene, noticing that there's scrapes in the floor. That's where these shavings came from. He moves the fridge, sees the word gluttony written on the wall. There's a note card with the quote on it that he uses to figure out what's kind of going on. And that is kind of a leap. But they, they show Somerset really looking at these pieces, thinking about the crime scene. And with his you know, 30 years of experience by that point, and the fact that he's too old for this shit, you kind of get the idea of like, this isn't the first time he's seen floor shavings. He kind of can figure out what it's there. And he was at the crime scene. We didn't see their entire investigation of the crime scene. We just saw him looking at the dead body. It doesn't mean he didn't look elsewhere and couldn't have put those together. And that's where this is like the subtle detective work. It's not in your face of like a magnifying glass looking at the ground. I need my Sherlock Holmes moment. That's kind of what (laughs) I think you wanted. Yeah, I want that inner workings like, I detect this because this and this and this. And I know the strength of these floor shavings. And And you give this little soliloquy about how you got there. That's not what this movie did. The movie trusted its audience and said, you know this character, here's the evidence, you understand that he put it together, and we'll drop one little thing in there of how he did it. While I appreciate that, they overestimated my ability to just <laughs> That's put fair. that point A to point B. That's fair. All right, let's move on to murder number two, which was greed. Yes. What do you think? I appreciate... Tell, tell them about oh. the murder first. Then tell me what you thought about it. Oh, okay. Um, so this mu- murder was done to a high-profile defense attorney. Correct. And it was the murder of Greed, like you said? Yeah, Greed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Greed, <laughs> greed is second. you said. Um, it is the murder of Greed. Obviously, the idea of a defense attorney making a whole bunch of money, that's the idea of the Greed. And to show off that idea, he had to give up his pound of flesh. That idea of that that phrase yes. of money, of the pound of flesh. Which he takes very literally. Like, you... I it, mean, the is murder made... is... I killed him by making him cut out a pound of his flesh. <laughs> yeah. It couldn't be muscle, it couldn't be bone. It had to be a full pound of just flesh. Which is... Disturbing. Yes. Luckily, you don't see too much of that. No, but... you don't ever see any of the murders. It's all just the aftermath, and it's it's oh, darkly yeah. lit, so you don't see a lot of it. And they, they do a really good job of that old psycho instinct of, like, we're going to show you what's happening or what's happened, but we don't need to fill in all the little gaps. We're going to let your mind do that. So it's like you see the overall picture but they don't zoom in and show you this and do that. Yeah. They kind of let your imagination go, oh my God. They almost that's do what it happened. tastefully. Which is insane to think about when you're talking about pound of flesh on a scale and blood everywhere. How is that tasteful? But you're right. That's what they do. Yeah. They don't almost glorify it in a way that a lot of other movies of this sort would do to kind of get that shock right, there'd factor. There'd be blood splatter all over the walls and yep. there'd be this and that and it would make it look cool like, ooh, the detectives are going to have such a good time going through this because there's so much to do. And it's like, no, this dude just 
in a clump on a ground in his underwear, tied up with his hands and his ankles with the scale and a pound of flesh and, and blood written out in greed. Yeah. He was always very, uh, you, you didn't need to guess what sin it was. And I was kind of hoping you'd be able to do that at the beginning. So I was like, oh, haha, fat person died while eating food. They're obviously gluttony. And I thought I was going to get to be able to, like, see, like, make my own deductions of what uh, sin they were. But then they started just writing it on I mean, every scene. <laughs> this is the one where you see the word before the murder. Yeah. The rest of them you get to see the murder first. So you can kind of know which one it is before they reveal that either you're right or wrong. But it's kind of easy to pick these ones out. They weren't really trying to hide what sin it was in any of these murders. It was very much in your face. Yeah, but then I also thought that, you know, the the, uh, attorney could also be, like, lust for money. Like, being a little bit more... Yeah, but once you're talking about money, I mean, your initial thought's always going to be greed. Yeah, but you could also be, like, gluttony. You have too much of it. Too much of it. It was the idea that it could almost, if you didn't write it out there... I mean, they had to figure out which ones were coming next, but if you didn't put it out there, you could kind of be like, okay, this is, don't have the traditional sense of these seven deadly sins. Sure, but wasn't it, wasn't it John Doe's entire plan was, I'm doing the seven deadly sins. It's not a hot, he's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to be like, can you figure out what, what this murder represents? Because it's not just a normal murder. He's like, dude, I killed him. It was greed. That's why I killed him. Yeah. So they don't really try to hide it. So that's why I get that. But I wish there was at least a little more time before they revealed it so that you could kind of piece it together yourself. Yeah, because that was like, at least in the first scene, I was like, ooh, I can figure this out. I know which sin it's going to be. Yeah. But they took that away from me in the But it's cool one. because... It's only it's only Mills that goes to the greed murder because Somerset has requested to not be a part of this. And they don't and know it, they're connected at this and point. And they don't know they're connected. It's just another one because they didn't find the word gluttony at the first crime scene the first time they were there. They don't find the word gluttony until a little while later when they start realizing that okay, this is a this is a sequence. This is a serial killer, same person doing these. And then they go back and find it. So it just says greed. And Mills is like, uh, crime, somebody was mad, blah, blah, blah. And then they realize the guy has a wife. They have her in a safe house in case the killer's coming after her too because her picture has blood circles around her eyes. Like, oh, she saw something. And they're like, oh, crap, we got to go keep her safe. And then Somerset's like, yo, let me in on this. (laughs) He (laughs) He does that throughout the film. And that's... Part of what the captain said to him is, like, you couldn't see yourself doing anything else. Like, you were made to do this. And he, he finds asks him- to be removed, and the captain's like, no. <laughs> and then he finds himself kind of butting into Mill's murder, because mostly he figures out that they're connected. connected. And he's just like, okay, I'm all in again. Yeah, well, like, not, not, even, not, like, even- re- not even all in, because he's still like... I'm not actually a part of it, but I have ideas. I want to run past you. I was going to say, it's almost as if he doesn't quite realize that he's doing it. That he's, like, he getting invested. He doesn't think he's invested. a part of it. He yeah. just, it's interesting to him. So he's not officially a part of it. Because every time somebody got, tries to get him involved, he's like, no. I, I'm not a part of it. <laughs> but then by the end, he's like, yo, let me in on this. I don't, I'm not going to quit yet until we're done. Yeah. So, 
it's just interesting. So they show up and they talk to the to the wife and they're like, "Hey, look at these pictures. Do you, do you see anything? Do you know what happened? Do you know why it happened?" She points and she goes, "Hey, that picture is upside down." And again, this is where you were like, "Do they do detective work?" She says, "Yes. The picture is upside down." So they rush back over there and they take the picture down and they're feeling around for hidden compartments, for anything. They're looking at the wall. They cut off the back of the picture. Nothing. And that, this is where Somerset becomes a little too smart for his own good to further the plot. Because randomly, he just is like, no, there's got to be something. And he jumps up on the dresser that's there. And he takes out his... Whatever that fingerprint powder stuff is that they, they splash around everywhere at crime scenes looking for prints. And he just starts looking for prints on the wall. And luckily, yeah. he finds a whole bunch. And that's where it's like a little bit of a leap. But at the same time, what else would you do? You're a detective. You've dusted for prints a hundred times. Clearly, this picture was moved. So if there's nothing on the picture, there must be something on the wall. So you can kind of deduce how he got there. Yeah, and that's the whole idea of him being a, a grizzled veteran of knowing these things. Like, he's probably had to deal with serial killers in the past or had to, like think about them or talk about them in the study them to know that if something is different here that shouldn't be it's on purpose yeah yeah he gets it so like he'll 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 knock down that wall because he knows something is going to be in that area yeah that's kind of the feeling you get so he's going to go through every single thing he can but again an interesting murder a little too on the nose a little too not really thought out all that well other than the pound of flesh was fun but of course it's going to be an attorney of course it's going to be there's tons of people that are greedy for a lot of different things that was a little too low-hanging fruit for me yeah then we get sloth is our third murder and this one's a little interesting so when they run the fingerprints they found behind the picture behind the painting from the greed murder it points him to this, like, crazy guy, you know, who's got some mental uh, handicap problems and has a rap sheet and has been in jail and been in trouble before. So they know all about him. They know where he is. They go to track him down. Well, obviously, we're only a third of the way through the movie. It's <laughs> not going to be him. And they have the whole SWAT team. They bust in the door. And we see this really thin person lying in a bed all shriveled up just crazy looking and that's your sloth he's been tied in this bed for one year with just enough to live every day and it just got taken away little by little until he dies interesting this one was probably in my mind the most scariest the the most depraved yes that too to keep him for a year for tied up. a year. That means John Doe's been thinking about this. This is not some spur of the moment. God spoke to me last week and I'm going to go do these things. This has been formulated. No wonder he's always a step ahead of everyone. He's been thinking about it. But to do this level of torture for that long, you know, uh, drugging him, having all these uh, tubes. tubes in him, literally took planning and patience and just... Oh my god, this one was the one that creeped me out the most, especially with the fact that the guy isn't dead. Oh. Yeah, she's right. He's not dead. So, 
<laughs> fun fact. First fun fact of this episode, David Fincher, who was the director of Seven, who you might know from, like, Fight Club and Social Network, he didn't tell the SWAT members that Sloth wasn't dead. <laughs> so the SWAT members are kind of checking out the body, and they're all just kind of relaxed, and Sloth makes a noise and moves, and you watch them all jump back, and they do a really good job because they, like, pull their guns up, like, oh, my God, what the... And they're freaking out. All real. Because they had no idea. They figured every single victim was just dead. Yeah. Fincher changed it and didn't tell anyone. Well, especially when you see this guy. You're like, okay, this guy's been dead a while. He is so, like... Clearly. Uh, almost um, mummified in the way that he looks. I so mean, his like... teeth are huge because he's so shriveled that his mouth and lips have been pulled back inches... And it looks like his teeth are ready to fall out. Like, intact teeth falling out because he's so dried out. It's it's sickening. Yeah. But David Fincher thought it was really funny. And he oh. got a great reaction shot out of it. Another fun fact is there was makeup and a little CGI used. But the sloth body is an actual actor who David Fincher wanted a real person. He was looking for somebody that was really skinny. And the actor came in, weighed about 96 pounds Oof. during the audition. Fincher hired him. And Fincher was like, you're perfect. I was looking for somebody around 90 pounds. That's what I want to get that look. And then we'll use makeup and everything to make you look worse. So the actor took it upon himself and lost another six pounds before filming and did hit that 90-pound mark that David Fincher wanted for that role. That's so unhealthy. I mean, it, it depends. His body, that just might be what he does. Some people get away with it. I just thought it was interesting, like, most movies would be like, nah, just put somebody in and we'll, we'll make them look with makeup and stuff and we'll CGI parts out, it's fine, whatever. And Fincher was like, no, 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 we need that realism. I'm going to find the skinniest actor I can <laughs> find and put him in that bed. I was going to say, it, it goes along with our love of practical effects. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If and this do... movie's just wrought with them. Oh, yeah. If you do something practically, it, it will age a lot more gracefully than CGI. Correct. Every time. Yeah, oh yeah, it's this, visually, this movie still looks really good. Oh yeah, I honestly could have said, th oh yeah, this was, oh, yeah, made, it was made this year. Yeah, it came out if in it, January. If it didn't have all the older technology, I'd have been like, oh, this came out this year, right? And even that, they kind of hide away from the technology. We don't see a lot of, like, cell phone use all that much. We don't see computers used all that much. I was going to say, it was a, a beeper and a couple of scenes Which and some people still carry, but, and typewriters are still used. Yeah. So you could just be like, oh, it's a hipster guy, it's a typewriter, it's whatever. Yeah. So, like, this movie still could work. So after they find Sloth, this is when they really know something's happening. And this is when Somerset's like, for sure, it's the Seven Deadly Sins. Because we go back to the precinct, and now they have the seven deadly sins written down on a blackboard with crime scene photograph next to the three that we already have so that we know they know what's happening. After this, we... I can't remember if it's after Sloth or before Sloth, but Somerset is invited to Mill's home, and he gets to meet his girlfriend, wife, wife. Tracy. Yes. I say girlfriend wife because she's hiding a very big secret from him and that seems more like a girlfriend thing than a wife thing so I'm not sure if they're like newly married or what's going on there. Their relationship seems a little off. 
They, yeah. they fully are invested and love each other, but for some reason there's a disconnect between the two. But they have this wonderful dinner together, they laugh, they have a good time, and Tracy's played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who's always good. She's not my favorite actress. When she shows up in things, I tend to roll my eyes, because I'm like, oh god, she's in this. But she always pulls out a good performance. So, like, I might not like her, I might not like the way she acts, but I can admit she pulls good performances. Yeah, I, I didn't really care so much for her. I thought she was a little bit unnecessary at parts because I was just like, I don't really care. <laughs> like, oh, I can get. It all makes sense in the end. Yeah, I was not going to go there, but. Well, we're not going to give it away. <laughs> we'll do that in our spoiler section later, but. Yeah. She, she just... is purposeful. <laughs> yeah. What's weird, though, is she calls Somerset. After they have this dinner and other things happen, and she calls Somerset and says, Hey, meet me at this diner. I gotta talk to somebody. And he's like, Why me? I've literally met you one time at this point. She's like, No, because Mills talks about you all the time. Ha 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 ha. And he's like, Okay. They go to a diner and they have a conversation. Turns out she's pregnant, but she refuses to tell Mills about it. She hasn't decided if she's going to tell him or not. And that's where it's like their relationship has that disconnect because. You're going to a dude you just met uh, two nights ago to talk about this instead of your husband? Well, I mean, she doesn't really have a great track record with her husband since her husband doesn't kind of understand that she hates it there. And she did probably did not want to go there in the first place. So it's like maybe she doesn't quite have that kind of say in her relationship. She doesn't with... want to ruin his life? Yeah. Because he, he wanted to go to the big city because... That's where the action is. He wants to go be a big-time detective. Um, fun fact, too, is... Do you know there is... What city does this take place in? I don't know off the top of my head. It looked a little bit like uh, New York. Okay, so that's what majority of people say. The two top answers are New York and L.A. And it's wrong. Both those answers are wrong. If you look at, there's some street signs and stuff that point to them being in L.A. Because they filmed in L.A., so you're not going to change the street signs. But then they're in a pizza shop that says New York-style pizza. Which could be anywhere, but it leans towards being New York. The only time you get an idea of where they actually are is when you see their police badges. Because most badges will say, you know, Chicago Police Department or whatever. This one just says Metropolitan Police because it's ambiguous. They are in a non-distinct city. But I think that adds to the atmosphere. You can't like walk down the street and be like, oh, this is New York. Of course, it's crime riddled. Yeah, I think it really added to that whole idea of uh, you can't just say, oh, this is the worst place in the world. This is where all of these murders are taking place because that's the whole idea of why Somerset wants to get out is that literally bad things are happening on every street. The murder is constant here. So and you don't want to label a city exactly. like that. Exactly. But you also don't want to be like, oh, it's blah, 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 Kansas, where yeah. no murder ever happens, but all of a sudden, all the bad things. Because then it's like, what? This It changes the story. So I like that they said it in a non-distinct thing, because you also could get the idea that it's possibly Seattle because of the weather. Yeah. It, it rains every day. I was 
I am so curious as to why they put that so rainy. I was just Great. like, why? Re- leading me right into another little fun thing. Another fun fact, but something worth talking about, is that was not meant to happen. They never planned on it just raining all the time. Really? But Brad Pitt was on a reduced schedule because he had to go off and film 12 Monkeys immediately after this. Another great movie. And Brad Pitt's first day of filming on this tight schedule, it was raining. (laughs) And they were like, well, we can't wait for the weather to get clear because we're going to lose Brad very soon. So let's just film. And then Fincher was like, aesthetically, we just got to keep it now. And he just was like, all right, it officially now rains all the time. It only doesn't rain in two scenes. One of them being the very end of the movie and one of them being early on in the movie. So it's almost like they're bookended by not raining and then the entire time the John Doe murders are happening and they're tracking him down, rain. So by accident, it really boosts the atmosphere and boosts the idea that these crimes are hanging over these detected heads like a black cloud following them around. What do you think? I like that imagery. I just logically was in my head like, it is just straight up pouring every single day. How is there not just a buildup of water? Like, How are they not flooding? Yes, they should definitely flood. Like, they could have made it rain like drizzling the entire time. Nah, movie magic. It's more interesting to watch a full rain than... Well, you can do that every once in a while, but then have some more, most gives, of it drizzling. Sure, but it also then gives the reason for after... <laughs> great segue. After they deal with Sloth's murder, they start to kind of put pieces together. And they're like, oh my god, okay, this is Seven Deadly Sins. Well... Somerset, earlier in the film, had gone to the library to read all about them and took out a couple books, was reading through, trying to, like, fill his head with knowledge. And so he thinks, why don't we see who else has read those books? Because Mills just randomly blurts out, if we could find the guy who whose library card rented these books, we would have our guy. And Somerset's like, we can do that. <laughs> it's not legal, because back in 1995 or 1994 when this was filmed, it wasn't legal. Checking somebody's library history wasn't legal until the Patriot Act in 2001. We're talking six years before that. So it's not exactly legal, but Somerset knows everybody. So he calls up a buddy at the FBI, hands him some money. Guy comes back with this long list of papers and says, here's everybody who's checked out those books. And they go through the pages and they figure out who's checked out all of those books. And it leads them to, unremarkably, a John Doe the name the guy actually uses to get a library card. How that's not suspicious to the library, who knows? Because he uses a fake name, but he doesn't use a fake address. So they find him, and they go to his apartment. Which I I found kind of convenient. (laughs) Like, of all the things, he checked out every single one of the books they looked up. Like, he didn't miss one book. I mean, they might have missed one. He might have checked out more, but they were looking for, like, these specific books because each crime scene was based off of something out of those books. The quote was from one of the books, from Gluttony. Yeah. The idea of Seven Deadly Sins, there's a book, Dante's Inferno, I think Dante's Inferno, about the Seven Deadly Sins. So they kind of put it together, and these are 
when you watch Somerset in the library earlier in the movie, he doesn't have just like three or four books. He's got stacks of them. So I'm sure he took notes and said, these are the books that would give us the most detail. Let's check on these ones. Yeah. So you can, again, you and you can just kind got of lucky put it that there was only one who checked out all of them. I, they're not exactly books that people just read for fun, but Mills even makes a joke this could be our guy, or this could just be a college student writing a paper. Yeah. So, so yes, they, they get a little lucky. Yeah. But movie suspension of disbelief you kind of got to let some of those things go at least they just they explain how they got there and they're kind of self-referential in the whole idea of yes it could literally just be someone writing a paper so they get to the apartment and they're like knocking on the door and they're getting ready to take this guy down and a mysterious shadowy figure appears in the hallway and just shoots at him notices they're there shoots at him we get this wonderful chase scene in the rain between Mills and John Doe, where Mills falls and is beaten. He's beaten, he's bloody, John Doe has the gun to his head, but he does not pull the trigger. Somerset runs up, and John Doe takes off. What do you think? I didn't care for that chase scene, mostly because it was very hard to follow. It was super shaky cam, but, you know, that's because they're running. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was so dark, you couldn't really tell who was who, so I struggled with that scene, but I thought it was so... I don't know what word I'm thinking of, like, just dramatic that the idea that he didn't kill this guy. It could be for multitudes of reasons. Like, Why didn't he kill the guy? He well, has the cop dead to rights. He's got the gun to his head. Mills is laying on the ground in an alley. But it doesn't pull the trigger. But it's constantly a, a, a thread when dealing with serial killers is that they have a set of things that they do they when they kill. They have a plan. They have a plan, and they will stick to that plan no matter what. Like, they will not kill if it doesn't go to that kind of plan. If it's not that time, yeah. or it doesn't make it, sense in the moment. He did not fit that seven deadly sins theme that he's going for, so there was no reason to kill him at that point. But it also goes back to the rain because, well, how come Mills just didn't see him? He's chasing him down. They're face to face. He's, he should be able to just make the guy out. Well, no, he's got a raincoat on. He's got a big hat on. He's all wrapped up because of the weather. So it gives him a nice convenient way for him to get away as well. That, and he never actually sees him up close. It's well, always at a distance. No, I mean, when he has the gun to his head, he's standing right above him. you got to be able to see him. But, but he does Blood look. in the eyes. Ran- he does look. The camera looks up at the person from Mill's point of view. We see it. It's just blurry because he's got blood and water in his eyes, and he's been knocked a little loopy. And he's, and he's shadow. all shadowed and in all this big gear. So, once again, atmosphere plays into the overall story. Then we kind of rush past the next two murders. Which well, I feel like we spent too much time on the first three that, you know, the, the last two come at the end of the movie. So to fit these other two in, they were just like, they happened. Move on. Because we go to Lust, which Lust, you want to talk about Depraved? Yeah, this one was this gross. One is, this one is the grossest of all of them. Maybe not the most depraved, but obviously the most cruel of all of them and and strange because he goes to a well-known motel where gentlemen take prostitutes to have sex and he knows what girl he wants to kill 
So he just waits for a guy. A guy shows up, he goes in, puts a gun to the guy's head, and makes him wear, for lack of a better term, a knife strap-on Yeah. over his penis. Puts the gun to the guy's head while he's wearing it, and he says, now have sex with her. Yep. And the guy does. And that's how she dies. I'm not sure how that really relates to the lust part, other than obviously it's a prostitute and sex, but the guy fitting into the lust murder doesn't work for me because the other murders were only those people. Nobody else was involved. It was definitely a move away from his usual MO of the person who has this sin is the one who dies because in my eyes he's punishing the guy for having lustful thoughts at over that's what, that's what i thought too is he should punish the guy the guy is the one lusting the other girl's just do, the girl's just doing her job yeah she's not the lustful one the guy is lusting after her unless he's talking about the idea that she is she's creating the embodiment lust. of lust yeah she's she's the idea of creating lust in these people she's the one making guys like cheat on their wives because one of the parts is he john doe asks the guy who does it like are you married like trying to make it almost worse the idea of lust and that being a sin so i it was a little confusing but it kind of made sense in my head that he was like no i'm i'm gonna torture this guy for being lustful at the same time as torturing this girl who is creating that lust yeah it just this is the murder that doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't really fit, you know, most serial killers, you know, BTK killers, Son of Sam, like all those, they have a pattern. And they don't break that pattern. They know exactly what they're going for, when they're going to do it. They, they follow a routine. And this seems to break John Doe's routine. So I don't care for it. Yeah. I don't know. I I didn't mind it, mostly because of that idea that he's punishing both of these sinners. Because now that guy has to live with the fact that he murdered a girl by having sex with her. Which I think would have worked in reversed. If he would have found a way to have the woman kill the man during intercourse, and she has to now live with that, even though I know she's already got a hard life and has to live with a lot of stuff, but adding this onto her place would have punished her and also killed the man lusting. Yeah. So it just, I don't know. It could have been better. Mm-hmm. It could have been better. But they get the guy because obviously she's dead. The guy's ch- tied up to a thing. The owner of the hotel calls the cops. They show up. They take everybody in for questioning. This is where they get a little more information about John Doe, about how so far up to this point, there's only one person that he has killed in that moment with his own hand and that's gluttony gluttony he forced to eat and then kicked him to explode him whereas with greed he forced him he forced that guy to kill himself basically and then with sloth same thing he gave him enough food and stuff and he tortured him to the point of death but he wasn't the one that actually like he didn't shoot him. He didn't stab him. He didn't... Well, he was He's dead. responsible, and he wasn't even dead. So he was responsible for getting them there, but he didn't do the final blow, except for with gluttony. 
and same thing with lust and they're you know it's a little weird why isn't he the one actually committing the murders well i thought it was the idea that this uh sin is what is going to kill you i'm not killing you the sin is which is again i get that and that's why the lost one doesn't work for me but they get all this information and they're starting to kind of really piece it like they have a good idea of who John Doe is now and what he's going for. They're like, he thinks he's some holy guy who's working for God, who's blah, blah, blah. And they're they're in on it now. They're figuring it out. Never mind the fact that we have actually been into his place at this point. Um, we got They got to read his journals. Oh, right. That's how they found the girl. There was a picture of her, so they knew mm-hmm. what girl he was going for. And they actually found out who John Doe was, and the fact that they'd actually met him before, which was one part that I found really neat and probably really... Twice before. Twice before. Twice before that I know of. There might be more, and I really would have to watch the background for the movie, because you're right. When they are going up to Sloth's apartment, after they find Sloth dead and they're working on all that and they're collecting clues, a photographer is standing on the stairwell taking picture of Mills and Somerset. And Mills gets in the photographer's face, smacks the camera away, and yells at him, sends him away. And who was the photographer? John Doe. It was. And we find that out by finding some pictures in his little, like, bathroom slash red room. And Mills freaks out, because he's like, we had him, and we let him go. Not that they would have known that was him, but it's the idea of... This is the level of detail that this movie put in. Like, I'm, we are going to show you the bad guy in multiple scenes. You're just not going to know it's him. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to give away the other scene exactly. I'm just going to give you hints so that if you guys watch this movie, you can look for it. But there's a moment when Mills and Somerset are talking, and somebody mentions that John Doe has a limp. And at that moment, you actually see a guy across the street from them staring at them, and then walk away with a limp. Really? Yes. I'm not going to tell you what scene. You'll have to watch the movie and pay attention. And there's probably more. And that's amazing to me. These are just the two I know of. And obviously the one is very specific because they mention it in the movie. The other one I happen to notice. And I bet there's more. I just have never seen. I feel like it's going to require a rewatch just for that. (laughs) Just for that, though. That doesn't mean the movie holds up. It just means I want to watch the background. (laughs) Then the sin of pride is next. This one is blink and you'll miss it quick. It is super quick. It's a socialite whose face has been mutilated. uh, And in one hand, she has a phone. In the other hand, I believe it's the mutilation device. Yeah, pills pills and the whole idea being you were beautiful but i have mutilated you now so you can either kill yourself and save yourself the embarrassment of being ugly or you can call for help and live the rest of your life with a disfigured face and the woman clearly chooses one path over the other mm-hmm. and it's a great it's a great murder it is a great representation of pride because it's not just, oh, you're pretty and you look in the mirror all the time and you're very prideful of yourself, so you have to die. It's pride, again, is what 
determines if she dies. How prideful are you? Yeah. And that's what determines. She but was given blinking. the option to get out. She could have lived. Yeah. But didn't. And it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. And we just, we immediately move on. And I wish they would have just spent more time with it because we spent time, you know, gluttony we spent a ton of time with. Yeah. Greed, a no, ton of time. Not as much. No, no, no. It's gluttony was one as the most time, then greed, then sloth. And it's like they spent less and less time with each scene. And I wish they would have evened it out more. Yeah. Because I didn't need as much time with gluttony. I know that was the first one and they had to really set it off. But we could have spent less time and added that time to Pride and got some more clues. Because right after Pride, we jumped to the climax and the resolution of say, the movie. The end game, basically. Yeah. So normally this is the moment where we would go into spoiler territory. We would warn you guys. We would put in the description the timestamps. This movie isn't one you can talk about without spoilers without really giving stuff away and this is where a lot of our our honest thoughts about how this movie came together are going to happen so we hope you've seen it if you haven't watch it and then come back and finish this episode so you can kind of understand where we're coming from so just be warned there are spoilers coming yeah, they have to exist. Although, to be fair, I this is my first time seeing this movie, and I already knew the ending because of so many other things that talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I mean, it. it's, so, it's a near 30-year-old movie, yeah. and what, what is it, 27-year-old movie? Yeah. It's been out there. Everybody's seen what's in the box. So, yeah, they get back to the precinct after Pride, and they, they know what they're doing now. They just have to find him. Yeah. But they don't because... He comes to them? He walks in the front door of the precinct and just says, Detectives, you're looking for me. Detectives. Like, he really has to scream Great their attention. moment, though. Great tense moment. What ruins, ruins it for me? John Doe is covered in blood. Oh, yeah. And not a damn one of those police officers or anybody in that pay him any mind until he gets Mills' attention. Why was he not tackled or thrown on the ground or thrown up against the wall and start being questioned? Why does he have all this time to call the detectives? Oh, yeah. Somehow he gets a cab there, too. Like, Well, that doesn't bother me. It's a cab. Cabbies don't care. They'll just huh? get, they just want their money. You know, it could be... Yeah. He could be a vet coming home from work and it was a bad surgery I mean, and he had to change of clothes. At the police station, they could have also seen him as a victim, seeing all that blood. But either and be way, like, you oh still my God, are pull you him okay? aside and talk to yeah. him. And they just let him stand there. And then as soon as he gets Mills' Mills attention and Mills turns around and says, oh my God, pulls out his gun and says, don't move, everybody scrambles (laughs) and starts reacting like, oh my God, there's a guy standing here covered in blood. Dude's been standing there for two minutes. Well, it kind of goes along with a a big theme in this movie where the police are absolutely useless besides the The detectives. The two detectives are not. Everybody else, who cares? Yeah, they're they're literally like, eh, whatever. You, you can go look at the crime scene because uh, I didn't notice anything. It really, like, put painted the police in a really sh- sad light, those who weren't at level of detective. Correct. But, you know, that was kind of what they were going for, and it worked. It paid off. Yeah. So, it's Kevin Spacey. Now, Kevin Spacey is a very problematic man in real life. Again, we don't get into that kind of stuff, but knowing that... Seeing him in the movie, he does a really good job, 
but I don't like it. If you want to know what he did, if you want to know all the stuff, you can Google it. There's tons of stuff out there, but I know it all. So the minute he shows up, and I know it's him, I've seen the movie, and it just bothers me. And I know we can't go back and change the past. We can't put, we have a running joke every time there's a problematic actor in a movie. Um, we just want Tig Notaro. She's a wonderful actress who, in a movie that came out in 2021, I was so. Army of the Dead by Zack Snyder. And there was a problematic actor after the movie was completely finished. There was a problematic actor that Zack Snyder chose to remove from the film. And using green screen and computer wizardry, he input Tig Notaro into all of those scenes. And it's seamless. It's so good. So we have a joke of like, put Tig Notaro in everything whenever there's a, a, a bad actor. So I, you know, I wish they would do something, but I get why they can't. But it can, it takes me out of his scenes. Well, it's the whole idea of don't confuse the artist with the art. Like, Unless the artist uses his art to commit bad things. Then yeah. I cannot. If it had nothing to do with his career, I would have been totally like, I can separate. But he used his career to do bad things, and I cannot separate. And it takes me out. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do that, especially in that industry. Or they at least they used to. Hopefully it's changing with everything going on. But I thought his performance was really good, unfortunately. I, I know it is. It is. You can hate the guy, but his performance at that time was really good. Which is amazing, because he only has, like... 10 minutes of screen time yeah in a whole movie it's like 10 minutes of total screen time and it's so good it's so i just wish it was anybody else but that's besides the point so they obviously tackle him they arrest him and they're like cool everything's done and his lawyer shows up and is like hey my client says there's two more bodies Obviously, because, you know, they're only at five of the seven deadly sins. And why would he turn himself in without having Without completing. Two? He's got a plan. He's smart. Yeah. And the lawyer says, but he will only show it, show you these two other bodies, if Mills and Somerset take him there. He'll yep. sign a complete confession for everything if these two detectives will take him. No one else. And if they don't? Well, we'll get off on the insanity plea based on how depraved all of the right. things were. I love that he kills a lawyer for being greedy, a defense attorney for being greedy, but then he has a very greedy, high-profile defense attorney who throws his weight around and says to the captain of the police, oh, you know how good I am. You know I'll get him off. Yep. And the guy's like, I'm not going to let this case slide. And he's like, yeah, but you don't have to because I'll win anyway. And it's just like, so you killed one but not the other because you were going to need him? It's a little bit of a flaw in his plan if he's trying to be so righteous. Oh, yeah. But obviously the detectives agree. They throw him in a car, and they drive out to the middle of a desert. And the car ride is really interesting because John Doe doesn't seem to give a crap about Somerset. Doesn't interact with him, doesn't, does not care. He is hyper-focused on Mills, and he is poking it. It's like if a bear was caged and you took a stick and just started jabbing at it knowing it can't do anything. Yeah. That's John Doe. He just says these little things to Mills and talks to him and degrades him and belittles him. It just upsets him again and again and again on this car ride. And there's a reason, obviously, because this man doesn't do anything without a reason. Yeah. 
So they get to the middle of the desert. There's literally nothing except for big power lines. And John Doe's like, what time is it? And Somerset gives him the time. It's 7.01. He's like, cool, it's going to be here any second. And a van comes driving up over the hill. And Somerset's like, oh, hell no. Gets in the car, stops the guy. And the guy's like, I'm sorry. I just had to deliver a box. It's $500. This guy paid me to deliver this box at this time to here. Mills opens, or Somerset opens the box and immediately freaks out and starts running back to where Mills and John Doe are. But while he was looking at the box, what were Mills and John Doe doing? They were talking. About what? All about this guy's uh, plan and the fact that he decided he was going to go try to be Mills. He was, what's the word? Envious. Of Mills' life. Yes. So he went to his house and tried to be him. He wanted to experience his life. Which included his wife. Which included Tracy, his wife, and their unborn child. And apparently the envy didn't go so well. He didn't enjoy himself, and it was a huge problem. And so what did he do? He kills Tracy. Kills her. He explicitly says, I took her pretty little head. Yep. And contrary to popular belief, we never actually see it. Even though people swear it's a Mandela effect, that they swear they see Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box. You don't see it, but they explicitly state her head is in the box that was delivered. Yeah. Wow. What a plan. Which... You, you you get these detectives involved in your crimes. You, you get them tracking you down only to turn yourself in because your final part, your final piece is to upset this detective so much that he will become wrath. The, finally, the final deadly sin. Yeah. So interesting. But I know you had a big problem with it. What was your problem? How was he able to plan this out? Honestly, he started dealing with Sloth a year in advance, and Mills only just came to the force literally like that week. Like so, a day before these crimes started. So it kind of was almost a, a crime of convenience at that point to have him be Wrath. I don't know if it was them finding his uh, home faster than he expected them to, or what that made him change his plans. Like maybe he had another idea for a Wrath. But then again, we didn't have any picture for the pride person either. We only had lust. So well, he even he explicitly tells them, "You finding me moved my timetable up." Yeah, I had to move quicker. So it, it's just like, did he have all this planned out, or did he kind of do it more on the fly? Was my problem that it kind of counter countered what they were already putting up for this guy's mo i agree with you i see it a little differently though i think he modified his game to include mills when mills appeared but i wonder you know it's been basically a chess match between him and somerset they both think they're the smartest man playing the game and who's gonna outwit the other i think he was trying to get somerset to originally be Wrath. 
But then he noticed Mills would be so much easier. So when the timetable got pushed up, he knew he could get there. Well, I don't know about that, but now that you're saying it, I'm kind of wondering if he decided to use Mills as his final piece, his final piece against Somerset, because the idea is that Somerset wasn't there to talk him down. And that that was what got him to the wrathful stage. Like, no, nothing you can say to him is going to stop him from finishing my plan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what his plan was. And I think that's what changed by having to move it up. Like I said, I think his original wrath was going to be Somerset. We found out earlier Somerset used to have a family. He used to not be so depressed all the time. He used to not look at life in such a shadowed way. He had a family, everything was good, and then the job took its toll on him and his family, and it all fell apart. And I feel like that's a way you can really get wrath out of somebody if he pushed him. So I think that might have been his end goal, but when Somerset got a new partner and realized it's this young, cocky detective who's who's easy to anger... How easy was it to just be like, all right, cool, I killed your wife. What are you going to do? And yeah. and Mills shoots him six times. Yeah. He, he completes the plan. He dies as envy, and he gets wrath to commit it. Now, that throws off his MO a little, too, because wrath doesn't die. Can't die. Sure, he's going to be arrested, and he's going to go to jail, and his life is over, basically, but is he really paying for his sin of wrath at that moment he's a detective you know he's not he's a detective who killed a serial killer who killed his wife he's not going to jail for a long time he's not nothing super bad is going to happen to him it's not really punishment for wrath i i had a bit of a trouble on both ends of of that scene where Envy didn't really kill uh, John Doe. Like, Wrath killed John Doe, not Envy. Because he was envious. I get what you're saying, and you gotta stretch it a little bit. Mostly because Envy would have been the hardest one to get someone to die from. Exactly. How do you kill somebody due to Envy? You don't. You get one of the other sins to do it. But then my thought goes to Wrath and the idea that he was left alive. But that... So was sloth. And lust, in a sense. In a sense, yes, in a sense. So it it's kind of dealing with the idea of, are these sins killing these people in the traditional sense of you are dead? Or is it killing something in them? I, I don't know. And that's where this movie falls apart for me, is right here at the end. Because yeah. it's a wonderful, one of my favorite things about this movie is it jumps right into the story. Yes, we have that initial crime of passion that I, that I don't like at the beginning, but it's seven minutes in, we get the gluttony kill. Yeah. And we're immediately into the story. A lot of modern movies would just be like, we need to do 20 minutes of setup, then kills. And this movie's like, no, no, we're right in. Let's go. We know what world we're in. And then it's a nice slow burn. It The kills don't come like one day after another there's days of separation there's time and we get this wonderful build where we get characterization we get to know these people but i think at the end looking back at everything john doe did 
and then how we end up. It's such a great scene. Brad Pitt's whole like, what's in the box? Is is it's a meme for a reason, and it's recognized by everyone because it's so good. But it doesn't make sense. No. The ending does not work. It's a bleak ending, which the whole movie is very bleak. But I feel like this is the weakest part. Not acting-wise, not cinematography-wise, not directing-wise. Straight-up story-based, the ending is the weakest part of this entire movie. Yeah, it it just falls apart in the whole idea of it, it just felt more winged than planned. And it kind of takes that air away from John Doe. Yeah, it's like wrath and envy. How do we... How do we commit murder with these sins? We don't know, so we're going to force feed that Envy was killed by Wrath, and Wrath is going to die, quote-unquote, because his life is a a little too hammy, a little too shoestrung. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. Although I do appreciate that John Doe won. He he completed his seven deadly sins. He 100% in his mind won. And that's what he was going for. My other big problem is he won, but so what? What did you accomplish? You didn't change anything. What was your big plan? He talks about in the car ride out there that, like, God spoke to him and planned. And he even compares, like, the sinners that he killed to. That would be like trying to save the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's like, okay, obviously, if you guys know that story... They were very sinful people, and God smited them. So he's doing the work of God. He's smiting people. But why just these people? You didn't leave a lasting impression. Nothing's going to change. Your work is meaningless. Because you also, the gluttony guy he killed is somebody who just never left his apartment. So I doubt he really had family or anybody that's going to be affected by this. You killed a prostitute. Usually you prostitute because your life's not going great anyway. You killed Sloth, a deranged man who had a rap sheet anyway and was living alone and didn't have a lot of family. So what did you actually accomplish? Well, you're still going to be known as a serial killer. Sure, but... but and they're going to have people being like, well, seven deadly sins because, you know... But he never said... profile ones... He does still have it written out there that this is for greed. This is for yeah, pride. It's not going to change anything. It was one person. People are going to be like, oh, he killed these people because of the seven deadly sins. Because they were super greedy. I'm not super greedy, so it's fine. He's not going to actually change anything. And the whole point of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is what he's comparing his crusade to, is it changed the course of people. People were like, oh, God is vengeful. Let's not do these things anymore. Yeah. And here it's like, I don't know, some dude just killed people. Who cares? To be fair, he needed more victims. We don't know that he didn't have more victims. Like, he has literally hundreds of notebooks full of notes that he's been taking. And when we get, like, the opening sequence of a. So you're saying we need a sequel? We need a sequel where we find out that John Doe's been traveling the country and yeah. committing these in different cities? Can't. How do you end up with Wrath and Envy in any other city then if that was his endgame? Well, it doesn't mean that he could just be going after all of these different people with these sub- these sins and that these were his final ones, the ones that he actively put out to the world. Like, no, this is because this person is greedy AF. 
you know? It's a stretch. I mean, I it's fine. It's a stretch. This is where, like, I, I guess my hyperactive thinking kicks in because it's just, like, it's such a cool concept and he's such an interesting killer. But overall, the, he, he says he has this master plan that means nothing. So I just, it, I don't like it. It yeah. doesn't work for me at all. But I just, I liked the slow build. I liked everything. It fell apart in the end. I think some of it might have been too, the story itself was slow paced, but some of the scenes were a little too long, a little too slow. The card playing cops at the library, the security guards playing cops, and Somerset's like, you guys are uncultured. And then they play some classical music to show him culture. It's like, what is this scene? Who is this for? And there's a lot of that in this movie where it's like, why do you exist? Yeah, I saw the scene because this was one of the things I noticed a lot was they used a lot of in-world sounds for for the backdrop. There wasn't too much to the score and everything like that. So I think that was just kind of added in there because they're like, we want to play music during the scene, but we haven't really been playing music underneath the movie so but what was that scene i mean that was he him. goes to read the books yeah that's all we needed just go read the books yeah and i get it you're trying to add these I little mean, pieces in also, but it was too much for me yeah you had him and then you also had uh mills going over stuff yeah in that scene so and it was just like there's a way also to bring a that weird in. shot of tracy in that scene as well which is i've never really paid attention to or noticed before but like when Mills is looking at stuff at home and Somerset is reading books in the library, we get this weird insert shot of Tracy just staring. It's like a second and a half blink and you'll miss it kind of moment. And it's weird. And it just doesn't fit. And there's other scenes that don't fit as well. It kind of changes up. Like, it's a nice slow burn with the murders. And then they cut away from the murders to other things. And that's why we don't have enough time for pride and lust and, you know, to really understand this killer by the time he shows up we really only understood about two maybe three of his kills out of the five that have happened yeah so just falls apart at the end the ending is interesting though because that's the ending from the script the studio didn't want that they wanted a a a less bleak ending but this is very very close to what exactly was in the script because Fincher wanted the ending to just be and I think this would have worked so much better. So after John Doe gets shot, the police captain and Somerset talk as Mills is being put into a cop car and saying like, you know, take care of him, give him what he needs, blah blah blah, which clearly goes to show his life's going to you no know, his life fell apart cuz his family's dead. But he's not going to be, like, sent to jail for long. They're literally talking about how they're going to take care of him. Yeah. And then it cuts to black and we get this little narration. Fincher's original design was boom, 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 boom. Mill shoots John Doe. Cut to black, roll credits. <laughs> and I feel like that would have worked so much better. Yeah. I feel like that would have left a lasting impression of, like, what the actual... But getting this little wrap-up afterwards, this nice little wrap-up, 
takes away from that moment. It really does, because it's the whole idea that Rath is going to be okay after this. Like, not fully okay, because once again, his family's dead. Sure, but, but he... people come back from that all the time. It'll it'll be with him forever, but he's young. He could find a new wife. He could... Whereas if they cut it off right there... We don't know. We don't know if maybe the other cops show up and kill him. We don't know if he kills himself. Yep. We, we don't know what could have happened. But now we do, and it takes away a little bit. Yeah. So I'm just not a big it was fan. Ju- in that version, it would just have ended, you are wrath. Yeah. The end. Another, our last fun fact before we go into final thoughts here is, I don't like the guy, but Kevin Spacey, great performance. He's He was really smart going into this movie because he has such low amount of screen time, and he's the surprise. He's the killer. We don't know who he is. We get that reveal in the, pol- in the police station. He actually went in and told Fincher, do not put my name on anything. Do not put my name in trailer. Do not put me in trailers. Do not put me on posters. Do not put me anywhere. And his name was going to be in the opening credits, that wonderful opening credits piece. And he said, absolutely not. If you want shock, you will do nothing. And then I will appear. People will be like, holy. Because the first time you watch it, you don't realize it's Kevin Spacey dressed up as a photographer. Yeah, I didn't. You don't. But then on the second watch, you're looking for it. And you're like, oh my god, it is! And it's great. And it's great, because it's actually him. But how smart is that? He didn't have to do any press tours. He didn't have to do interviews. He didn't talk about the movie. He just literally made the movie, got paid a bunch of money, and walked away until it came out. And it blew everybody's minds. Though I will say, it was rather funny. The end credits, he's in there twice. Because they couldn't put him in the beginning. So Fincher was like, I won't put you in the beginning... But I'm going to put you twice at the end so that he gets his moment as John Doe. And then he's just in the long list of everybody in order of appearance. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant by Kevin Spacey and brilliant by Fincher to agree with it. But then also give him his moment because of what a performance he put in. Mm-hmm. Just just little tidbits like that. Just That's how you know Fincher is a great filmmaker. All right. Final thoughts. Hit me. It completely holds up. Just as I said earlier in this film, I thought this movie could be made today and no one would be the wiser. Ever, It was so captivating, so on point with even thematically what things are coming out today that this movie could have been made today and people would accept it just as it is. So for you, 100% holds up. Yes. For me, I, I'm i not that high on it, to be honest. As a as a teenager, this movie was the be-all, end-all. It was brilliant. Because I was a teenager. I was an idiot. In my 20s, it was still really good. In my 30s, it's still really good. But it's a B-plus for me at best, which obviously I'm going to say it holds up. You know, you can definitely watch it and still get enjoyment out of it. But this is probably the least enjoyment I've had watching this movie out of the three times I've watched it now. It's like, as the time goes on, I like this movie less and less. Is that just because you're rewatching it, or...? I honestly, it, it could be. But when we're talking about things holding up, it kind of... Hints at the idea that, yes, you might be a first-time viewer, and that's awesome. But more likely, it's we're talking about these old movies because these are movies people have probably seen. 
Maybe they want to show to somebody. Maybe they want to rewatch. Maybe it's just not on their list because they're like, oh, it's a 40-year-old movie. It won't be as good today. And that's the point is I want to bring awareness of like, yes, you can totally still watch this movie and it's great. This movie you can watch and you'll probably like it. But I don't think you're going to enjoy it as much as you did 20 years ago when you saw it the first time. I mean, it does play a lot on that, like, shock factor of what's coming at the end is, but, a, is a big part of it. So if you already know that going in, like, more in more detail than I did, uh, it, I could see how it could be a little less impactful for you. Which is weird, though, because another Kevin Spacey film, Unusual Suspects, has this one of the greatest twists in, in cine, cinema history. And I've seen that one multiple times, and I still get just as much enjoyment out of it. This one, on the other hand, just gets a little less. And the more I think about it, it gets a little less. Okay. Is it great performances? Yes. Is it great directing? Yes. There's just something about it that's not... But what else is there? The story starts out good and falls off by the end. The atmosphere is good, but... A little too dark, a little too... You needed to change it up a little bit as the movie went on. So it's like two great things mismoshed with some okay good things. But the more I watch it and the more time gets away from when it first came out, those okay good things get to be just okay things. And then just meh things. And it brings those great things down a level as well. So does the movie hold up? Yes. In 10 years? Five years? My answer might change. Yeah, I could see that. So. Alright guys, there you go. If you're wondering, we both say it does hold up. So give it a watch. See if you can notice John Doe anywhere else in the background. If you do, come hit us up on Twitter at doesitholdup13. Let us know what you saw. Also, reminder to follow us on TikTok for some more fun information at does underscore it underscore hold underscore up. In the meantime, keep watching movies. Bye.